Welcome to the Biz Owner 360 podcast, where we explore a variety of topics to help you grow your bootstrapped business. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. Each week, I have a conversation with leading experts in the areas of growth, execution, leadership, wellness, productivity, and other areas. This is not the typical podcast. We have conversations that dig deep into each of the topics that we cover. The goal is to provide cutting edge but proven tactics and strategies to grow your business. The Biz Owner 360 podcast is now recognized as a top 5% international podcast and growing. My guest today is Paul Shirley. Paul is the author of a great new book called The Process is the Product. Paul is a former professional basketball player and author whose theories about habits, rituals, and routines underpin the process. Paul is the author of several other books and the host of The Process podcast. Entrepreneurs and business owners are constantly in scramble mode. Today, Paul and I discuss how to add some process to the chaos and get more done in less time. This productivity focus has been a game changer for me, and I think it can really help you as well. Now, on to the interview. Hey, good morning, Paul. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's good to I know. to a, a fellow Iowa Stater. Exactly. So this is kind of a, an interesting, after I started, re, after I read your book and then started uh, binging on your content, I almost forgot that that's where I first knew you from, was from from the Iowa State days. And and probably the other part that I forgot after I read your book was the uh, the Phoenix Suns blog, which is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I forgot that that was you. Uh, I forget two and two. It's been a few years since you wrote that, but yeah, welcome. Thank you. Yeah. It feels like I've led or have already experienced several lives, which I think is the right way to live a life, right? I, I do feel like when I am on my deathbed, I will take some satisfaction in the sense uh, that I packed a lot in. Oh, there's no doubt. And you're only, what, 40? 44. 44. Yep. All right. I'm heading towards the double nickels this year, so. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, it's, uh, it's. I mean, I think like this isn't the subject of your podcast, but aging is, is more and more interesting to me because it's only been 100 years that we've all planned to live as long as we will. And so we're all having to deal with that. Like we're not going to retire at 65. Uh, hopefully we're still pretty sentient until we're in our 80s. And we don't re- we're not really equipped for that because culturally that hasn't been the case for most of our human existence. So I think it, it's interesting thinking about aging and, and how it has changed. No, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, longevity has become a another topic of mine that I'm binging on, you know, podcasts and research and just kind of the technology around it and the belief system around it. And right, if we can hang on the medicine, and again, the well, like way off topic, right? <laughs> but you know, aging is, is is a disease, right? I think people treat it as a just hey, it's what happens, and I think we're finding that it's not just what happens; it's how you treat your body and some of the things you can do mentally and physically mm-hmm. to you know continue to grow and learn. So yeah, I'm with you. I have no plans on retiring. I just want to make sure I'm in a place where I'm doing what I want to do when I want to do it, <laughs> versus the the retirement from the job. So, mm-hmm. all right. So back, back to the topic at hand, even though we cover everything in this podcast anyway, so we're, we're fine, but uh, congrats on the new book. It was a, I know a journey for you to, to get to this one. And, and that's really why I wanted to have you on the show. It was, it's about the, well, I should have it here. It's show everybody. It's the, the process is the product. 
And like I said, I told you offline, I've been fascinated and all in on, on process, right? And how do I improve my performance? And I had an author on, and well over a year ago, Steve Glaveski, that was talking about time rich and how that's what we should be trading money for time, et cetera, et cetera. But he outlined the concept of flow. And that was kind of the first time I heard it. And I get it, right? As you as a the former athlete, you get on the basketball court, you experience as a writer. And I think we all have those moments, but it, it's really hard to get into to and really make a long intro longer. It's, you know, where your book really helped to see was that there's actually a process you can follow to, you know, be the most productive self that you are. So thank you for writing the book. And I'd love to, to kind of get in. Why did you, why did you write it? And I'd love to get into some things that the, the audience can take away from it. Well, first, thanks. And thanks for noticing the, uh, the part about flow. I think that is one thing that's maybe entering the zeitgeist more and more all the time, but it is a little conceptual for people. So it makes me happy when, when people understand that that's what we're really aiming for here is that's why the book's called what it's called, right? The process is the product. So taking what you thought, you know, we all think in terms of, well, I got to finish this thing, whatever this thing is, whether that's a starting a business, finishing a book, a basketball career, whatever it might be, that then I will be happy, right? When I get to the end, I will be happy. And what we learn over and over and what, you know, everybody knows by now is that that's not true. What is true is that there is a way to fall in love with the process. Now, like you said, people say that a lot, but how do you actually do it? And so my hope is that by going through some of the things that I've experienced, the ways that I've failed, the ways that I've picked myself back up, I can illuminate that in a way that is the two of us, me and the reader, kind of looking at my experience and letting them learn through that, as opposed to trying to tell them, here's exactly what you need to do. As you mentioned, there are ways to find a state of flow, but they are uniquely personal, right? Somebody, like I don't have any kids, so I can get up and run my morning kind of however I want. Somebody else may have a bunch of kids running around, so that's not necessarily realistic. So they may have to wait till later in the day to set up a time when they might reach a flow state. Uh, it's also personal in the sense that each of us is more familiar with different kinds of flow states or different context for flow. So, you know, for me, basketball was what helped me understand that. But it was also growing up playing baseball. It was also uh, doing woodworking projects with my dad. It was sometimes even, you know, taking care of the animals. But then as we grow up, we realize like, oh, you can find a flow state in a great conversation. Yes. You can find a flow state while cooking. And so helping people see that they may already know this, they may already be experiencing it. Now, how can we translate that to other aspects of your life? So if you're already hitting a flow state when you're cooking with your wife, let's say, then thinking about like, well, what's the what's the routine you go through? What are the cues that allow you to get there? Oh, we, we put on music, we pour a glass of wine, and now suddenly we're just in it. We're, we're cooking, we're talking, all of those things. All right, well, you want to be in a flow state when it comes to uh, working on a pitch deck, let's say. You've got a big presentation coming up, and it's a month away, and you, you know you need to do 20 minutes a day to, to get there. Well, how can you cue yourself into that in a work environment. Maybe that's coffee. Maybe it's music again. Maybe it's uh, turning off your phone. Maybe it's doing five push-ups. Whatever it is, but like building a way in, a ramp in. You know, habits people talk about that being the cue, and then the behavior is, of course, what you're actually doing or accomplishing, and then figuring out also what's the reward. So, right. cooking with one's wife, the reward may already be pretty implicit. Like we have connection, we have you know a, a bond through that. When we're starting new processes, sometimes we have to overload on a 
on a new kind of reward. Like we have to be really militant about when I'm done, I give myself this reward of a piece of chocolate or a glass of scotch or whatever the thing is in order to like really solidify that habit or that process. Yeah. And you've outlined a, a couple of stories and examples of, uh, was it the Eagles? Was it Necklin Fry? It was, uh, he had the tea, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that it, yeah. it was the process. And, you know, it was interesting is I kind of outlined from that book last year, outlined, you know, carved out three hours in the morning, just to the routine and say, Hey, this is blocked off. This is scheduled. This is what I'm going to do that the productive work or the flow work. Mm-hmm. But what you kind of outlined, which opened my eyes is you got to have a stop time, right? Because that's mm-hmm. where you can run into danger, danger being a strong word, right? But if you get like, I'm in a role, I'm going to keep going, probably nothing wrong with that. But then as you outlined in the book, then your brain goes, Whoa, man, that's not what I signed up for. And it kind mm-hmm. of throws you out of that. So, you know, was it just trial and error as you went through the process? Because within the book, you, there was like you had your 10 personal steps that you went through and then you mm-hmm. outlined six that that people should follow. And I actually found both of them really interesting because there was some nuggets in there that, you know, I always thought, hey, you get into this, the flow state and when it ends, it ends. But obviously it's, that hasn't worked <laughs> as yeah, yeah. well. Right. So, well, I, I think it goes back to one thing for me that has made sense is comparing it to meditation. So meditation teachers will talk often about how when the bell sounds to mark the end of meditation, you have to come back, you know, uh, because yes, we want you in that meditative state, but now we have to be realistic that now it's time to go back to life. And it's a similar concept of knowing that because there is an end, you're more likely to push yourself into that flow state. And similar to meditation, you don't do meditation for the five minutes or the 10 minutes or the 15 minutes. You're hoping to apply that to the rest of your life, right? And so in this same way, we think of like creating a practice of hitting these flow states. When we, you know, an easy example is is my past, uh, and most people are familiar with some level of how sports work, right? So practice doesn't go forever. There is an end point because we know like our bodies can only go for so long. We may have the gym rented only for so long. And so we don't think I'm going to, you know, practice basketball for 10 hours one day and then zero hours for six days in a row. That would be insane. What we do is instead we have basketball practice that lasts two hours or an hour and a half or two and a half hours, whatever it is. But in that period of two and a half hours, you're not going to be in the flow state the whole time. There's going to be drink breaks and times when you lose concentration and all of that. But that's our window that we work with. And what is true about every, basically every person who is successful, who's creative, all of these things is they have figured out how to build these systems into their lives. I didn't understand that when I first started writing, when I, when I was writing for myself or ESPN, even working on my first book, even working on a second failed book. I thought you wrote when you felt like it. And you, like you said, you stayed with it for as long as you could, but that didn't work very well. And I had this realization when I was 33, 34, that I didn't know what I was doing when it came to writing. Fortunately, I had this background in sports and that allowed me to see like, oh, wait, I do know the answer. I've already done it. I just need to apply it to it in a different context. Yeah. And so that's what led me to this understanding or, or this transfer from sports to then the creative pursuits. And then I started to see like, oh man, this is really everything. I mean, you could make the case that even in your relationships, you have to kind of go through a 
a process of the way you talk to people, right? So like I've noticed I often, especially when counseling people on their systems, their habits, I may already know the answer for them. Like I can see where they need to get to, but they might not be ready to hear that. So I've I've had to train myself to not just jump in and be like, here's, here's your answer. <laughs> yeah. And so I've had to come up with a little mantra, which is I have an idea. Would you like to hear it? Right? So as simple as that, even that is, is process based because I, I recognize like, oh, this wasn't effective in my personal relationships to just jump in and tell this person what I think. So I've, I've had to come up with this thing. Now, over time, it may not be as overt as me going through that exact terminology as I get better at, at like kind of instituting that mentality. But at the beginning, it's required almost that you have something that's really rigid like that. Yeah. And I'm curious too, going back to that that process, because you said with, with the practice times it was scheduled in the book, you talked about the two coaches. One had, hey, here's what our schedule looks like. Every Sunday you get that off. And so your brain can think. You think that's an individual preference or do you think some people are better not knowing when the day off is and they keep working? I'm curious. You're, I've, I've got a thought, but I'd love to hear yours. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you can keep you can keep people kind of off balance in a, in an effective way by not telling them all of the information. And I think that can work in the short term, but I don't think that's a, the way to breed a lifelong habit or, yeah. or process, right? I think it, you know, if, if you're in the military, they may not care about your <laughs> like lifelong plan. They're like, we got to fight this war. So we're going to kind of keep you on your toes and, you know, things may be unsettling from time to time. There's some regularity, but there, there's some unpredictability. I think when it comes to setting these things up for ourselves, so, you know, your audience is largely entrepreneurs. And one thing that's true about entrepreneurship is there are so many variables and there's so much chaos that I think you actually have to decide on the on the idea of being even more rigid to right. offset the level of chaos. So if your life is, is pretty static, you may actually need like a little more variability just to keep yourself interested. But if your life is like full chaos, then you actually have to be more rigid with your system. Yeah, I think that's a great segue or transition, Drake, because entrepreneurs, right, most of them aren't working 16 hours a day just to get stuff done. And when I started thinking about the process, right, even though in the book, it is really kind of focused on writing or creatives, but I think it applies to anything and kind of curious to get your perspective. So if one of the things I'm doing is writing a book, I'm finally getting back into doing that. So I've carved out time, I've got to write some blog posts for the business, and then I've got to do some others. So if there is three things, like my sole outcome is not to, to finish the book, right? But it's, I've got to balance these things. Is it the same, you think it's the same process, right? There's, hey, three or four things that I need to do. Here's what my routine is for this hour. I'm going to do this and then mm -hmm. schedule four hours, right? And then the, the other six, because the other two-part question, I promise I'll let you get back to it is, right, we, we've learned and I've experienced in the corporate world in the past, like you're only really productive for a couple hours a day, max. And the corporate is just because there's meetings and you're just never time. But even in the truly deep flow state, I've heard anywhere between two and four hours is max where you can give some of your best work. So that being said, how how would you as an entrepreneur, which I know you're going through this process now, think about that with, with the tasks that you have? Is it simply creating a process and a system for each of that or how how would you approach it yeah I, it's a good question because people do want that prescription i i think all i can lean on is what i do right so i would err again on the side of giving oneself radically less time to accomplish things the, the less time you give yourself better chance you have of reaching a flow state because you know there's there's different research on this some people say that the maximum amount of amount of time on average for people to be in a flow state is 
50 minutes, but I think that's hard for most people. I, I would say it, there's other information that says like our brains are going to start to wander every 17 minutes. So I actually try to, right now I'm in a very harried state because I've opened, we have a workspace here in Denver that I'm in. Uh, for the process, right? A, a co-working space for it is freelancers, creatives. It's people who are on their own, some some entrepreneurs, those types of people. Then we have an online version. We also do some business to business stuff, helping companies build better processes. So it's it's hectic. And and right now I'm only able to carve out 30 minutes a day for writing. That's down from it used to be 45 or 50 minutes, but that's okay. In fact, sometimes I find that I can get as much done in 30 minutes as, as in 45. And then usually I have in my schedule blocked out like there's probably two more deep uh, like I, I will show you in my little planner right so i have uh, kind of my days separated into like here's the day as far as like what i've got i'm doing this podcast with you or later i'm running a session here within that though i have i allow myself like deep tasks and shallow tasks so shallow tasks might be just like email brett to check in about when our podcast is you know that that's not going to take i don't have to get into a flow state to do right i might have to briefly concentrate but it's not like i'm going to go fully deep but then i might have like yesterday i needed to spend 15 minutes on a deep task of setting up tours of our space right like the mechanism for which people would use or by which people would come find us right now realistically Writing for 30 minutes is a load on the brain. And then 15 minutes of like really thinking about like, how is this going to work when, when we get people in here for tours? That's another little load on the brain. And then I probably only have one, maybe two more of those 15 to 20 minute stints of like being in a deep state where my phone is off, where I'm like really having to lock in. And then the rest of the day is taken up by, right, I've got calls, I've got meetings, I've got the stuff that comes up during the day. So for me, it's, it, it's so much about like front loading those things that I know are going to require deep work so that I can have those done and feel like no matter what happens with the rest of my day, when it blows up, I'll be okay. But I think that, and this is where I go back to, you know, you've, you've read my uh, little story about how when I was a kid, the basketball players would come into the basketball camps and say, well, you know, what you got to do is you got to work hard. I, you know, I shot, I shoot a thousand shots a day. And so then I, of course, being the like little whippersnapper in a small town that I was, was like, oh, I better try this. And I realized like, uh, that's impossible. They're lying. And so I think people are lying a lot when they talk about how much they work. They actually say, well, yeah, I worked for eight hours today, but six of it was wasted time. And in fact, because there's so much wasted time, they're actually almost never in a flow state. So they're never doing effective work. So I would, I'm always pushing people. I just finished working with someone individually for three months, actually. And it was amazing his misconceptions about like how long he needed to work. We got him down to like, okay, I just want you to concentrate for 20 minutes and now, okay, maybe 30 minutes, but it's not going to, it's not because we're aiming for four hours. It's because we want you to be like a laser. Like you are just locked in. You have this power, this ability that's almost like using the force or something that you can lock in and focus very quickly and then get out of that state relax, you know, work on something that's maybe slightly mindless or have a conversation, whatever it might be, and then be able to get back into it really quickly. I've spoken for too long, but I will say one more thing about this. One thing I noticed when we talk about stopping points, and, and I think this is the value of this idea of building a practice, it used to take me, like when it came to writing, and basketball was probably similar, it would take me 30 minutes, 40 minutes to figure out like where I was, what was I working on, and the same with you know, the projects I might be working on. By carving it into these like very short bits and knowing that I only have a certain amount of time, I can get into a flow state in like 20 seconds and it and I'm there. So what I would say is that intensity 
is worth so much more than duration. So being able to like get to it really quickly um, allows you to feel, like I said, like you have this lightsaber where you're super powerful. It should only be used when you need it. And that gives you a sense of, of just like ability or facility with superpower you're building for yourself. Yeah, and I think you're so right. If people actually would sit down and realize how much time they're actually really, really, really productively working and moving and pushing the ball forward. I'm still guilty of this with, you know, I, the, the, instead of carving out this small micro next step of the process, it's you get focused on, man, that whole business plan is going to take forever. Not that I'm advocating business plans, but, but if you could say, mm-hmm. I just really need to carve out this piece of it or what does this offering look like and spend that 15 minutes? Because I think you're so right on the constraints. If you you got 20 minutes to get something done, man, you get it done. If you give me two days to do it, guess what? It's going to be that last 20 minutes of the two days that it's it's going to yeah. get done. The best of intentions. And I think people's quality of life would improve if they could actually get focused and get more work done in a two-hour period than they probably do in a 10-hour or 12-hour period because it's not structured. And, and I'm just curious to your perspective is I get a sense not many people actually follow these processes. I'm seeing more of these solopreneurs and lifestyle businesses that they've figured it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and why why can't we, and I think that's what you're working on, how do we take this to the masses, right? And say your quality of life is going to be so much better if you could just learn how to focus, prioritize, and, and build that, that little system around it. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. I think what we're all fighting with is the, some of it is the industrial revolution, but also it's the kind of bureaucratic revolution of the 1950s through the 1990s, where there was this attitude that, you know, you would just kind of plug in for your eight hours and you need to be kind of on call. And in some cases, that's true, right? Like certain people have jobs where they just need to be present. Somebody's going to be either coming into the business or calling into the business. And there's just, I don't know if there's a way around that necessarily. But when it comes to things around self-starting and things that require like long-term, well, basically project-based things. I read a piece recently about how like the economy is changing to a project-based economy versus, uh, I don't know what you would have called it before. In fact, I should remember this because it was in this article, but my life has been all project-based, thankfully. And so that's why I feel uniquely equipped to talk about these things. And sometimes there is a disconnect because I forget a lot of people have been trained by this kind of Actually, I guess what you would say is their old days were sort of more like it was what people would call process based in that it was like, well, here's our company. Here's here's how we do things. And there's just yeah, it's right. a, an assembly line, more or less. So what we need to do is is apply a process based thinking to a project based economy right for the individual which I'm, you know, we're getting in the weeds here as far as terminology a little bit, but it's building systems so that you can accomplish long-term projects, which is, I think, what a lot of people are trying to fight with, but they've been acculturated by this mentality of, you know, 1960s IBM of just like, you go in, you sit there for eight hours, you hate your job, you come home, you have some whiskey, and then on the weekends, you go on vacation. And... (laughs) That's actually not how most of human history has existed, right? Like if you even look back to what, what was what was a caveman after? Well, we got to go hunt this mammoth. That's a project. We got to figure out how to get this mammoth back to the cave. And then once the project's done, you're like, let's relax and eat the mammoth and like right. I don't know, smoke some peyote or something. So like a lot of the, a lot of these like what I would call kind of I don't know toxic's the wrong word, but they're not very helpful 
attitudes are pretty recent. And a lot of people are just so ingrained with that. I, you know, when talking to my parents, my dad worked for the state of Kansas for 35 years as a research analyst. And it was just, he's there at 745. He leaves at 445. It does not change. Every day is the same. And so it, there's no benefit to him to be able to concentrate that he can see. Right. And so then, but what we're seeing is that like lots of people are realizing, oh shit, if I can't concentrate, I won't get anything done. I won't move my business forward. I won't move my personal brand forward, whatever it might be. Yeah, I think you're spot on. And coming from the corporate world, you can see it. And I think you're right. It's the industrial revolution changed everything. Because even post-caveman, you had like blacksmiths, right? Their Mm -hmm. people's jobs were kind of their lives and they worked more when they had to because they had to. But I do think we're moving towards a more project-based uh, world. And I think, you know, the analogy I use, it's I'm seeing more and more like a, a movie set, right? So the stunt person, the actor, the script writers, everybody comes together for this event, right? They put their best work forward and then they all split up and go do their thing again. And we're, I think we've seen that with Fiverr and some creatives. I think we're going to see specialists in a ton of different areas that are going to pop up and being able to apply, you know, what you're talking about, hey, with the two hours of deep work, if I can bring a specialist in that's going to do two hours of really good work in this area, I'm going to move my business forward like this because it's not me procrastinating, not getting it done, not doing it well. I don't have to pay a fortune for it. So I think we're still in the really, really early days of people seeing the power of that. But I think once it gets some momentum and people are tired of going to the office and they realize they have skill sets, that we're going to be able to start to piece these together and, and push things forward much more efficiently than that's why I'm so optimistic for, you know, small business owners and startups that if they can build the right organization and avoid all those silos, just the inefficiency in those orgs, you know, and when you're living in it, it didn't seem that bad, but looking back at it, right. Just mm-hmm. people are making that commute for, you know, more than 60 minutes each way every day. And it's just time you're never going to get back. And so, yeah, I think you're, you're out in front of something here that as soon as people realize that they can be more productive, they're going to, they're going to start asking, how do I do this? And I think your book's a a great start at that. Yeah. I I think people are, a lot of people are headed this way, but there are also a lot of people who are unaware of how difficult it is because I don't want to, I never want to try to snow people with the idea that these things are easy, right? Like it's hard to become a self-starter. It's hard to work with self-discipline, those kinds of things. And so for some people and for for the economy as a whole, it has been really good that they were able to just plug in and be told what to do. They may not have enjoyed it, but it was easy. And now what we're talking about is like, you're going to enjoy your life more. You're going to have a lot more fulfillment and meaning, but that's going to come through hard work. And that's going to at first seem daunting and unpleasant. And I think that's one thing you're seeing, you know, with, with quote, great reset and all that, the great resignation, whatever these things are, is that people are are also realizing like, whoa, so if I'm just expected to plug in for eight hours at my computer, that's not very fulfilling. What was fulfilling was I went to an office and there was an ecosystem there, there was a community and, you know, it, it, that was what was fun about working. When I'm faced with the fact that I just have to sit here for eight hours and make myself do it, this sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. I, we, we would rather live uh, in a small town and on one income than have to do this. So I, I think right. there may be a bit of a bifurcation there where, you know, some people are are so put off by self-starting, self-discipline, et cetera, that they might just say, I don't want to do this at all. No, I think that that's two really good points. One is that, right, there's still no silver bullet, right? (laughs) You take away and you want to be fulfilled and control your own destiny, but 
that means you control your own destiny. You're going to have to figure out how to put in the work and the people that are looking for the shortcuts, there are no shortcuts. So you're right. They would have been better off in an eight to nine to five environment, get paid, do some good work when asked. But right. So the people that want to can take control of lives, I think it's going to create more opportunities. And when you said about the, the process, you know, one of our, you know, the Iowa State's football coach, Matt Campbell, I love his approach to things. It's process work. And I have one up that I, I actually post on occasionally and says, our culture says it's all about me. Our culture says, screw the process. I want instant gratification. Here's a fact. If you fall in love with the process, eventually the process will love you back. Mm. And I'm like, exactly. Because what the process, at least for me, what it allows me to do, and I still know I've got further work to do, it gets me to do stuff when I really don't want to do it. Right. But the process, I just need to get this done. And I think that's that can sometimes be the difference between success or failure or solo or corporate is is doing this stuff when you don't want to do it and you don't feel like doing it. Right. Right. Yeah. No, we, so I actually this is near and dear to my mind because on the process podcast that I do with um, Katie Levesay, who's a neuropsychologist, we were talking about this uh, this idea of willpower. And she talks a lot about like the stories you tell yourself about the things you're doing. And I, I made this analogy between or this contrast between gulag work and campfire work. So like if we were in the gulag and I said, you got to go chop that wood, you'd be like, I don't want to chop that wood. But if you went camping and you needed to chop wood for your fire, you'd be like, this is kind of awesome. I did a thing. I made a fire. The same action is just different context, right? Yeah. So what I talk a lot about with setting up systems is remembering that, yes, if you don't want to do something, it doesn't work very well to just gut your way through it. I mean, there are times where you're like, ah, oh, Jesus, it's the end of the day. I got to get this done. And, you know, we have we have a reservoir of willpower for that. That's pretty small, as it turns out. With everything else, it's so much better and so much more effective to figure out like, okay, I don't want to do this. Why don't I want to do it? Okay, we've established that. It seems like it will be boring. Okay, well, how could I make it fulfilling? Is that, could that come from an internal reward of like, I got to write this email. Could I make myself laugh in writing the email? Would it be, you know, is there a way to make it like funny as I do it? Okay, well, maybe that's not the thing. Okay, so could I um, reward or cue myself to write the email by pour, by making myself a really good cup of coffee? And then when I'm done with sending this email, I can listen to my favorite song. Right. So, so figuring out how to not gut your way through it, but instead create these, I talk a lot about like outsourcing willpower, and that would be an example. So using outside sources in order to push you into a flow state, knowing that once you're in it, most of the time, these things that we dread, once we get into them, we're like, oh, you know what? I do, you know, I feel pretty good about this. I'm doing a thing that I'm good at. It's just that we might be kind of out of gas for the day or, or whatever the situation is. And that there's no shame in needing those reinforcements. I think that's another part of this is that we look around and we think like, because of quote, hustle culture and yeah. rise and grind culture and all that nonsense, we think like, well, everybody else can just push their way through this. No, they just, they want you to think they can. In reality, we all have these like cues and rewards to get ourselves through things and, and that's how things get done yeah no and again i think the sooner we come to terms with that and the more we we aggress yeah you know you're right because it's just doing it for the sake of doing it you're only gonna half-ass it you probably won't give it its best work but it's and i've 
truly do believe in the, the process of the approach and the systems. And, you know, one of the other questions I have, I know we're running a little bit out short on your time. So is, can we over systematize it or is this really, Hey, start with the really important stuff that you really need to, you're deep in your best work. And then you can kind of have less structure around the rest of the day, because I could see some people going, well, man, I just don't work well with structure, 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 structure. But I think you addressed it a little bit earlier that said, man, if everything's chaos, you need more structure. <laughs> so, so how do you find that balance of pure routines? Because there's going to be times when it just things break down or the schedule falls apart and you can't do it. And I know some people would be freaked out that their schedule is completely disrupted. So how do you, how do you balance those two? I think that is also a thing that can be outsourced. So surrounding yourself with people who will check in with you on how rigid you're being and if that's effective or not effective. So this past weekend, my brother turned 40 and his fiance threw him a party in Kansas City, which is close to where we're from originally. They live in San Francisco now. So it was actually a matter of like flying a bunch of people in. And it was scheduled to sort of start Friday night-ish. But I had to go to Kansas a couple of days early because I was given a talk, University of Kansas, and also was seeing my parents, etc. So originally I had planned to drive back on Monday and to like watch the Kansas City Chiefs play on Sunday with my brother. But on Saturday, I started to get this feeling of like, oh, man, I don't, I got a long week ahead. I'm not sure I can afford to take that extra day, right? So yeah. I had to wrestle with it a little bit of like, am I being too rigid about this? Am I being a workaholic by driving back to Denver a day earlier than I planned? Or is this a, a good use of my time? And so that was asking my brother like, hey, so would you be upset if I you know, left a day earlier than I had planned? And by then he was also exhausted. So he's like, I don't care. I've, <laughs> we've all had enough. And But it was also then sitting with that discomfort myself, right? We have to learn how to be uncomfortable, which, you know, I'm not necessarily a master at it, but, uh, you know, I talk about in the book, this idea of wallowing with failure, but I think that also applies yeah. to just uncomfortable decisions, etc. And, you know, I'm making a mountain out of a molehill, but I think this illustrates what we're talking about a little bit, right? Is that, am I letting work dominate my life or is this a pretty valid reason? And I am so glad that I ended up coming back a day early because it turned out like we're, we're actually opening this space next week. I had more to do than I even realized. And so I would have been a mess this week if I had not done that. Um, so that's a long way around to, uh, I don't think there's an easy answer and that's good. If I were trying to give you easy answers, that would be me being a word merchant. <laughs> Uh, but I think like it's that reality of, of checking in with your partner, your wife, your kids, your family, friends, et cetera, to kind of once in a while get a reality check on like, have I spun myself out here with like too many systems or do I need more? Those things are just really difficult to do, I think, on our own. Yeah. Balance. Balance is the key. And the one last thing I want to touch on that you talked about a little bit is that, you know, people used to have the work or ecosystem where they had people and relationships and friendships, which they still do. And I think that's one of the big things I've heard as an argument against not bringing people to the, the back to the office. I'm like, well, but if people had their choice, who they wanted to hang out with and talk about those things and they had the extra 
extra social aspect of it. You know, I think that the space you're creating is, is a perfect example of that, right? You don't have to be friends. You're forced to work with the people you work with if you work in a big company. Some of them you may mm-hmm. like, some of you may not. But the fact is, if you had the ability to be social, right, and get that that extra human interaction somewhere else, I think people would be much more willing to <laughs> give up on mm-hmm. the commute and say, hey, I've got a community here. I know it's just a different way of thinking because that's not the way office people have been, you know, kind of conditioned to do that. Where right now, if you see people in cafes, it's it is the writers, it's the creative, it's the salespeople that are out on the road. But mm-hmm. I think we're gonna see more spaces you know, like what, what you're creating for folks to, hey, I just I do need some human interaction. I need Need to bounce some ideas off some people, but you know we're all remote in the workforce. So I again, I'm I'm more of a half full type of guy. So I think where we're heading with the the new world order and the digital and remote and everything is super fascinating. And we'll see where it all plays out. But I know there's other folks sitting on the other end going, "Oh, this is the worst thing ever." <laughs> right? Change is bad. I like I like mm-hmm. my routine. So. I guess it's just, it's how you're looking at the future. Yeah, I think it is similar to what I was talking about with regard to if your life is chaos, you'll need more rigidity to deal with that, right? More order to deal with the chaos. And I think that's similar when we talk about if you're going to work on your own, great, but you're going to need to figure out how to make connections. You're going to have to spend more time doing a, making a conscious effort to build connections. There's a, a book I love by Johan Hari called Lost Connections, which is about how most of depression is actually lack of connection that people who end up depressed or who end up sometimes even on drugs oftentimes what they're missing is just human human connection and the one thing we have to be careful in our pursuit of efficiency is that we might lose that sense of connection and I think that's what we're seeing when I look around at the world a lot of people were initially COVID time like oh this is amazing I've been wanting to spend more time with my boyfriend but then they've kind of been their frog has been boiled over time (laughs) and you can sense like these people aren't happy, but they're kind of addicted to being depressed in a lot of ways. And so they're afraid to get back to anything like normalcy, not realizing like, yeah, it's going to be a little awkward when you have to get back into social situations, but we need that so desperately. Like it is just baked into us. I I've seen that with myself, like in talking to my therapist back in LA, we identified one of my most important values is personal connection. Right. And I don't think I'm alone in that. (laughs) There's a lot of people who would really got into it. That would be true. And so removing personal connection carves a hole out of your soul. And if if you don't figure out a way to fill that, like you'll get sad, right? Loneliness kills more people than like alcoholism or I don't know. There, there's some stat on that. Like yeah, loneliness yeah. is really detrimental to our lives. And so I think that's the thing that similar to what we were talking about before, be careful what you wish for. Yes, you will have control over your own destiny, but it will be lonely. You know, that's one thing that I got a lot in my sports career was people saying like, man, you're so lucky. You get to travel to all these places and play basketball for, for money. And I was like, well, yeah, <laughs> I am. I mean, it's better than, as my dad would say, it beats digging ditches, but it is incredibly lonely because I was a mercenary. You know, I was going from yeah. team to team without any real sense of, will I be here next year? And that loneliness is hard on people. It was hard on me. Um, it's hard when you are an entrepreneur, it's hard when you're an independent contractor. So to sum up what I'm saying, yes, those things are, are can be a positive change as long as you know what you're signing up for and as long as you're willing to put in the work on the social side in order to cultivate that aspect of your 
whole being. Yeah, it makes so much sense. And and two, I I'm I've definitely gotten better at building relationships through video. I mean, some of the folks I talk to all the time, I've never actually met them, but yet mm-hmm. I feel like I've known them for for ten years. But there's still something about that human to human, face to face that we need at some point, whether it's not in business, it's personal and. I'm just kind of curious with the the space that you're creating. Are you seeing, is that what you're hearing from folks? What's the, what's the motivation for people? They just want to get out. Yeah. A lot of, for a lot of people, it is, I got to get out of the house, but uh, for a lot of people, it is the community and the accountability that comes from what I would call positive peer pressure. So our, our sessions are all really structured. Either they're an hour long or they're two hours long. If they're an hour, people write a goal on our big chalkboard. I want to get accomplished this in my 45 minutes of actual work time. And then after 45 minutes, I will put on a loud, song, get everybody to stop working, come back to the chalkboard. We talk about how it went. And then the longer sessions are similar with a little bit more of an element of, of community at the end. And what I find is there are some people who are aware that they need these things, but most people we have to kind of like uh, have the medicine go down with the sugar in that we like we give people chocolate during at the end of each session as a kind of Pavlovian reward. Yeah. Um, and so what they find is they're like, oh my God, I didn't realize how much I would like this until I got into it. And, and so that is a little bit like what I was talking about with regard to kind of the latent depression that you're seeing it it takes changing the behavior and then you notice like oh shit i was not in a great space and i think when people are on their own all the time it requires like just doing the thing and then you see oh wow i really like people <laughs> yeah yeah i think i think you're right and you telling that that story reminds you of just one last thing and i listened to your solo episode of the podcast where you're talking about the lesson learned right as you closed the the first shop and moved into the part two and phase two that you were trying to accommodate all people. And would you see the doers and the donters? I'm screwing up what the the phrase that you said, but I'm like, Mm -hmm. that's so true. We want to please everybody and we want everybody to be our target audience. But you found more, I don't want happiness is the right word, but more satisfaction when you said, hey, these are the folks, these are the tribe that I want. I want these people that are excited, enthusiastic to be about it. And I thought that was just a really insightful. And I think we lose lose sight of that sometimes as we're questing right in our business and our journeys. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think with, for us, it, it resonates really quickly with the people who are ready for it, right? So the people who notice, Ugh, I, you know, either, either things are not going great the way I'm doing it, or this is a chance to hook into something I've been thinking about and I would like to do more of. And then the people who are resistant to it, sometimes they come around, but um, it's you know, like you're saying, it's, it's, I have a pizza place. We don't have hot dogs here. If you want hot dogs, you're gonna have to go somewhere else. And noticing that and being okay with that, like giving up on some short-term gains, uh, because the long-term is the plan. You know, one of the, my great bits of sadness is that two years ago now, so you mentioned that I ran a business in LA, it was called writer's block. It was a co-working space for writers. And that's what kind of gave us this idea that what we were doing made sense for, non-writers um so we had you know opened a physical space that was our own which was a big leap i had taken out a bunch of loans we fought it for 18 months of it you know god there's something here people we have members it's going but it's not quite there and then i think it was because we committed so fully to our methodology that january february of 2020 we signed up it was just uncanny because people finally were starting to get it to tell their friends and it was you know the momentum was so strong i was starting to think about like i remember so vividly i was finally in a place because i had been losing money for five years on this right 
And I was like, oh my God, when we finally get to a point where we're actually like breaking even, what if I started to build in like a trip to Palm Springs every two weeks to like get away from this chaos? Cause you know how it is when you're running a business, you, you kind of got to get away. Once. I was yeah. starting to set up new systems and processes that I was really excited about. And then COVID hit and it just, we went from, you know, revenue of, you know, these, these numbers are, are modest, I realize, but the revenue from $22,000 a month to $4,000 a month, just like this. And it was gone. You know, there was just no getting it back. So it, uh, it, it was sad, but it also taught me that lesson. Like you're talking about of, you know, if people are looking for pizza or if they're looking for hot dogs at your pizza place, they're never going to find what they're looking for. Right. Ending your lesson on wallowing in the loss and then moving on, right? It's uh, take that mm -hmm. lesson and move. So and then lastly, just tell me a, a little bit about how, how is the virtual co-working space work? Because that, that's kind of a newer concept too that I'm, I'm interested yeah, it's, in. Yeah, it's, it's been, that, that was a thing that also got, you know, silver linings because back in the writer's block days, we needed to move everybody online. We had already started this other company, The Process. And so we were like, oh, well, let's try this out. So we started running what we call deep work sessions online. They all happen in a uh, private Discord server. Your listeners may or may not be familiar with Discord. It looks a lot like Slack. And there's an element, again, of somebody, one of my staff is there waiting for people to check in. The sessions start on the hour. Everybody sets a goal for what they want to accomplish in that hour, actually in 45 minutes. And then after the 45 minutes is done, we bring them back to the little channel. I actually participated in one before I got on with you. You get back in the channel and now you're discussing like, how did it go? You know, what happened? And one of the things that's cool about it in the session I was in, there was a person who is in Hungary. Uh, there's a person who's in Holland. There's a person who's in California. I was in Denver. There's a person in Texas. So like this kind of international flavor of networking and community gets built along the way. Yeah, that's super cool. So again, thank you very much for your time. I know we've taken a lot of it today, but I hope people found a lot of value in how they can restructure their days and get more out of these days and highly encourage people to go check out the book. It's a, uh, it's, it's a show me, not tell me type of book and it's very actionable. So I think you'll, you'll see a lot of value and check out the podcast. You guys have also a lot of really good content. So if, if folks do want to reach out and learn more, what's the, what's the best place for them to find you, Paul? So yeah, come to createyourprocess.com. There are uh, three options on that page. Like, are you interested in us in Denver? Are you interested in the online? Are you interested in this for your business? Uh, any of those ways will get to me very quickly. Awesome. Well, again, appreciate the time. We'll have to maybe do a follow-up after you get this business rolling even further. If you write another book, we'll uh, we'll bring you back on. Because I do think this, this topic is so important. We can be using our time so much better and it's not a, a quick fix, right? We've got to, we got to embrace it. So, so yeah. I appreciate the, the insight in the time today. Thanks, Brett. And go Cyclones. Yes, go Cyclones. <laughs>